Hello and welcome to the Oleaster podcast, the audible version of articles on oleaster.org. I am Devin Phillips, the author and your narrator. Without further ado, let's dive in. Born under the law, second week of Advent, the Incarnation, the Parousia, and the Covenants of Israel. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. If we have trouble understanding what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that the Son of God was born, quote, under the law, the narrative of Jesus' birth and childhood in Luke 2 paints a picture for us. Jesus was born to devout Jewish parents who, on the eighth day after his birth, had him circumcised. This circumcision was a command attached explicitly to the Abrahamic covenant. Note, see Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14, end note. Then confirmed or reiterated to Moses in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. Just as Abram received the name Abraham from the Lord at the time of his circumcision, Jewish boys are officially named at their brit milah. Note, this is the Hebrew term, meaning literally covenant of circumcision, for the ceremony practiced to this day by observant Jews. End note. This boy born under the law was named Yeshua, just as the angel Gabriel had told Yeshua's mother, Mary. Note, see Luke chapter 2 verse 21. End note. Note, According to historical records, Yeshua was the third most common boy's name in late Second Temple Judaism. This name marked Jesus as a common Judean man and the object of prophetic Jewish expectations. For instance, Isaiah 62 verse 11 reads, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your Yeshua, that is salvation, is coming. Inf note. In case we had not yet picked up on the diligent observance of the law by Mary and Joseph, Luke continues, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Not only would the family travel to the temple for the Pidyon Haben, note, the Pidyon Haben is the redemption of the firstborn, a practice laid out in Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 through 15, and Numbers chapter 18, verses 15 through 16, end note, and the ritual purification of Mary after childbirth, note, see Leviticus 12, end note. But they would also annually make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Note, see Luke chapter 2, verse 41, in observance of Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17, Exodus chapter 34, verses 18 through 23, and Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 17. On one such journey, when Jesus was 12, he remained in the temple after the holiday, unbeknownst to his family, who had begun the return journey to Nazareth. After discovering his absence, Mary and Joseph retraced their steps and found their oldest son sitting at the feet of the temple teachers, asking wise questions 
and giving profound answers. Note, see Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, end note. The centrality of the Torah, the instructions and legal code given to Moses in the covenant cut at Sinai, continued to have a defining role in the life and ministry of Jesus well beyond his childhood. Jesus took for granted that his hearers would offer sacrifices at the temple and recommended that they approach that holy time without bearing any offense towards others. Note, see Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. End note. Jesus regularly attended synagogue on the Sabbath. Note, see Luke chapter 4, verse 16. End note and observed the appointed feasts of Israel given to Moses in Leviticus 23. Note, see John chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 2, chapter 7, verse 10, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, chapter 10, verses 22 through 23, chapter 12, verse 12, and chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. End note. Jesus wore tzitzit. Note, this is the Hebrew rendering for kraspidon in Greek. End note. The tassels that God instructed the people of Israel to wear on their clothes as a reminder of his commandments. Note, see Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. End note. Interestingly, miracles of healing often followed when the sick reached out to touch this visual sign of the commandments given to Moses attached to Jesus' clothes. Note, see Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, Matthew 14, verse 36, Mark chapter 6, verse 56, and Luke chapter 8, verse 44. End note. Even while Jesus critically assessed the scribes and the Pharisees of his day because they did not, quote, practice what they preached, he instructed his followers to listen and obey the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. These teachers sit on the seat of Moses, Jesus declared, and their rulings and exegesis have weight because of that position of authority. Note, see Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. And note, covenant discipline. In Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, Jethro advises Moses on what he should do from his seat. Quote, Warn the people about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they should do. Moses agrees with his father-in-law's guidance and enacts it. In the subsequent chapters of Exodus, those statutes and laws would become more clearly defined when God imparts his covenant to Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses came down from the peak of Sinai and set up an altar at the foot of the mountain. He then directed some young men of Israel to make sacrifices to the Lord. The book of the covenant is then read in the hearing of the people, who are sprinkled in the blood of the covenant, and they reply, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Note, Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, end note. Thus, the Mosaic Covenant between God and the people of Israel was ratified. What did the Lord promise to this nation should they abide by the terms of this covenant? He promised an obedient Israel would be his prized possession among the nations. Note, see Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, and note, that she would have a unique priestly role among the nations, consecrated and set apart, 
holy as the Lord is holy. Note, see Exodus 19, verse 6, and note, and that God would defend Israel from her enemies. Note, see Exodus chapter 23, verse 22, and note. The covenant terms were spelled out more specifically later in Deuteronomy 28, when Moses outlined the blessings of keeping the statutes given in the Book of the Covenant and the curses for breaking them. The blessings of obedience included the fruitfulness of the land promised to their father Abraham, the fruitfulness of the people Israel, security in their country, and safety from their enemies. Note, see Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14, and note. The curses of disobedience were barrenness of land and womb, death, invasion, and exile. Note, see Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, end note. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Holy Promised Land would not long tolerate a sinful people, and sustained national disobedience to the law would lead to expulsion and, ultimately, death. Covenants Clash The Mosaic Covenant poses an immediate problem when viewed alongside the Abrahamic Covenant. God unconditionally promised Abraham and his descendants a specific piece of land. Note, See Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 19, end note. God unconditionally promised that the descendants of Abraham would be a people more numerous than the stars. Note, see Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, end note. But now both of those promises, security and in possession of the land, and a growing Israelite population, now seemed dependent on the obedience of the people of Israel. Would God's ability to be faithful to Abraham rely on the power and inclination of Israel to keep the law of Moses? Does Sinai abrogate or redefine the promises made to Abraham? The conflict between the two covenants is so apparent that the Apostle Paul addresses them directly in many letters. The covenant given in faith to Abraham, based on unconditional promises, is not overturned by the covenant given to Moses. Note, See Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22, end note. But neither does the Abrahamic covenant override the Mosaic covenant. The law is still upheld. Note, see Romans chapter 3, verse 31, end note. Note, Galatians 3 can be a tricky chapter for those contending that the law of Moses is still valid and in effect, mainly because of how it has been historically interpreted and taught in Gentile settings, while often seen as contrasting grace and the law. Romans 3 might provide a helpful context to understand Galatians 3, as the Apostle Paul tackles almost the same issues in both passages. In Romans 3, it's clear that he's talking about faith contrasted with works, where faith in God's redemption is salvific and works are not. Salvation is from God's work alone. Grace and law versus faith and works might seem to be a distinction without difference until we see the phrase, quote, law of faith, end quote, contrasted with, quote, law of works, end quote, in verse 27, making the law an aspect of both realities. If we are still unsure what conclusion we are to draw, Paul has anticipated the logical question pitting faith in opposition to works and answers it in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law.
End note. What then? We seem to be at an impasse. Israel seems doomed to be caught in a cycle of national sin, exile, repentance, and return. Will she be in a state forever? Our kind and gracious God knew this would be the desperate situation that soon followed the giving of the law. Quote, The blessings and the curse of the law will come upon you, the Lord declared to Israel as he renewed the Mosaic covenant in Moab. You will suffer exile, but if you return to me with all your heart and soul, I will regather you. Note, see Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, and note. The problem is not with the law itself, which the psalmists rightly praise as delightful, trustworthy, and perfect, reviving the soul. Note, see Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, and note. The Apostle Paul, in agreement with the psalmists and the prophets, affirms the law as holy. Note, see Romans chapter 7, verse 12, end note. The problem is with the heart of the people who did not want to keep the law. Again, this covenant dynamic was not a surprise to God. Quote, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear, said Moses to the people of Israel. Note, see Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4. End note. But how will the problem of disobedient hearts be solved? Moses has the answer. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Quote, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 7, end quote. The prophet Jeremiah expanded on the prophecy of Moses in his description of the mechanics of a future covenant with Israel. This covenant would bring an elegant resolution to the seeming contradictions of the Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants. Quote, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Note, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, and note. The problem of Israel's exile would not be solved by the law, but by new hearts. These hearts would not be law-free, but instead inscribed with God's law. To fill full. This future promise makes sense of Jesus' declaration in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Just as Moses did not abrogate Abraham, neither does Jesus abrogate Moses. But what does Jesus mean by fulfill? In one sense, it means to interpret and apply the law rightly. See Romans chapter 8, verse 4. End note. But it also seems that fulfill might also be understood as to fill full. Indeed, while Jesus was teaching and interpreting the law of Moses, he sometimes would expand and intensify its requirements. 
One such recorded instance in the Gospel of Matthew was when a group of Pharisees asked Jesus about the legal requirements for divorce. Jesus answered that divorce itself was against natural law. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? asked the Pharisees. Jesus answered, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Note, see Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. End note. When giving the law to Moses, God considered that the people did not have circumcised hearts, but rather hard hearts. But this condition would not be forever. Indeed, the prophet Ezekiel declared, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Note, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28. End note. In his first advent, Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins, perfectly satisfying the requirements of the law. He did not abolish the law of Moses, but upheld it and even added to its content, filling it full in anticipation of his second advent, when all Israel would have soft and circumcised hearts with the law written on them. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Note, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, end note. In Jesus' first advent, most of the ten lost tribes of Israel remained in exile, scattered among the nations. At the end of the first century, Israel suffered yet another devastating exile at the hands of the Roman Empire. Exile due to Israel's disobedience to the law is still enforced through covenant discipline. But at his second advent, the Messiah will regather all Israel's tribes to the land promised to Abraham, ending exile. The people of Israel will finally be free of the curse of the law when they have a new heart and a new spirit, which will cause them to walk in the statutes of the Lord and obey his rules. God will keep the promises to Abraham of land and fruitfulness, and exile will end. Only the blessings of the law will come upon this renewed people under the rulership of their Messiah, born under the law, and who cut a covenant in his own body that they might have hearts inclined to obedience. This has been a recording of Born Under the Law. Thanks for listening to this second week of Advent, the Incarnation, the Parousia, and the Covenants of Israel. If you missed the first two installments, you can catch up by listening to Maranatha, Our Lord Has Come, and Son of Abraham. Please stay tuned for the next installment in the series for the third week of Advent, Great David's Greater Son. 
All Bible quotations are from the English Standard Version, unless otherwise specified. If you've enjoyed listening, please feel free to read or listen to other articles at oleaster.org, receive new content in your inbox by subscribing to the Substack, or follow at oleasterbranch on X or Instagram. Any and all feedback to this and other articles is welcome. If you have a question, comment, or correction, please feel free to email contact at oleaster.org. The music in this episode is Zion Train by Alexandra C. Munoz. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Maranatha.